So, Steve, um, you know when we do our, uh, hey, Corey, I've got a number for you, a uh, bit at the beginning of every episode? Yeah. So one thing that bugs me a little bit is uh, those numbers are often not up to the minute, or they're a step removed from the day-to-day and from what, uh, from what renters are going through and what's on their minds. Makes sense. Economic measures tend to look backwards a bit. It does take time to collect data and identify trends, but we can look beyond traditional economic indicators. For example, survey data can give us a direct read on renter perspectives and be a complement to the data we usually look at. And today, we've got guests with a lot of survey-based numbers and insights to share. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Freddie Mac Multifamily Podcast. I'm Corey Aber. And I'm Steve Guggenmoss. Today on the show, we're going to look into consumer sentiment a bit. This is always important and has even greater relevance now as COVID-19 has profound impacts on everyone's lives. Understanding consumer sentiment can be a bit difficult, but fortunately, for the past few years, Freddie Mac has been conducting consumer surveys to try to get insights into renters' minds. Joining us today, we have two Freddie Mac colleagues, John Chapala, a Senior Director of Strategy, Insights, and Analytics, and Elizabeth Mosley-Walton, Director of Market Insights. Thanks for joining us today. Hi, Corey and Steve. Thanks so much for having us. Elizabeth, let's start with an overview of the consumer survey work and how it's changed over time. Then we'll dive into some of the findings, trends, and numbers. Sure. And thanks, Steve. Thanks, Corey. So, man, I guess all of this kind of started back, I think, in 2014, where we started monitoring the views and opinions of renters. Kind of over time, we expanded our efforts not only to look at renters, but also current homeowners as well, because as I'm sure you know, current homeowners can also become future potential renters. Our overarching goal really was to learn about the perceptions Americans had around their housing choices, their financial views, their behaviors, and really to look at what are some of the potential drivers for their housing decisions. Now, we typically would do this survey at the beginning of the year, and then again around about Q3, Q4. So fast forward to seven months ago, And because of what was starting to play out in early March with COVID, we kind of shifted our focus a little bit. So that being said, before we dive into some of the findings, a little bit of background on how we're currently looking at things. When we started the COVID tracking work in March, I don't know if anyone could have imagined we'd still be here. But when we set this particular project up, we did it with two principal objectives in mind. The first being to monitor Americans' perceptions of the housing market, and the second being to assess their their financial preparedness and ability to weather any potential economic fallout from COVID. So we've been running this survey on a biweekly cadence since mid-March, and what we're going to be sharing today encompasses wave 16, which was in the field October 14th and 15th. As far as sample and who we're talking to goes, we're at 1,000 two-thirds of whom are owners, the remaining one-third are renters. Now, we typically ask eight to 10 questions in each wave, half of which are core trending ones, and the other half are topical by wave. We've also divided the survey into four broad topic areas, two of which are around the housing market, concern and activity, and the other two are around the financial impact of COVID and other overarching consumer sentiment, really how are consumers feeling about a range of different issues. Finally, When it comes to fielding the survey, we're partnering with a leading polling consulting company called Heart and Mind Strategies out of Reston, Virginia. 
Uh, so, John, maybe um, let's talk about some of the general and, and uh, long-term trends that you've seen from the survey. Yeah, sure thing. So when we look at some of the high-level trends with renters, we're seeing that they have definitely been impacted by COVID, to a large extent more so than homeowners. Currently, we're seeing twice as many renters struggling when compared to what we saw just in 2018, with many not having enough money, even for the basics like food and, and their housing payments. So I know one of the things that you looked at over time is perceptions on housing affordability. And so has anything changed uh, with renters in light of COVID? Yeah. I mean, for a few years, what we were seeing is more and more renters were feeling like renting was more affordable for them, honestly, than owning. Um, and prior to all of this stuff with COVID, when we spoke with renters, even, you know, back, it seems like a lifetime ago, but back in August, 2019, we had about 84% of renters who were saying, you know, renting is more affordable for me than owning. And so that's a huge amount. Now, since the start of COVID, actually the views of rental affordability have declined significantly. However, keep in mind, it's still pretty high as we have about 70% of renters saying that renting is still more affordable for them than owning. And we also are seeing that, you know, a large majority of renters still believe renting is a good choice for them right now. Yeah, that's interesting, Elizabeth. So uh, it's it's remarkable that with rents going up as much as they have uh, coming into this year, that renters are still believing that it's more affordable to rent than to own. Um, as the pandemic has kind of impacted the economy, and uh, that certainly hits all of us, is there a change in what you're seeing in renter perceptions on that? Um, really what we're seeing is kind of, again, we still have a majority of renters saying it's more affordable than owning. It's gone down. Um, but, you know, still we have a lot of renters who are think, thinking that renting is a good choice for them right now. Well, So what about, um, I, mean, I think we've seen this a lot in, in the news, right? Concern with payments, uh, you know, especially for renters. Uh, so uh, with COVID. So, so obviously, like there's some anxiety about that. Uh, you know, what are we seeing there uh, in the survey? Yeah, absolutely. As you know, you probably expect there's a fair amount of anxiety and concern in the air when it comes to consumers' ability to make their housing payments. What's interesting, though, is certain cohorts, and we'll talk a little bit more about this in a second, are in a much more precarious and uncertain place than others. Now, when we go back in time and look at our historic research, it's really shown that renters as a whole tend to be on a slightly less solid financial footing than owners, right? So when COVID began in March, we saw nearly two-thirds of renters, 65%, were concerned about their ability to make housing payments in the short term. That number gradually declined to 54% at the end of May, but generally it stayed relatively flat through the summer. But today we're at about 60% of renters being concerned, so three out of every five. So that's quite a few being concerned, and I know that, uh, you know, as we consider, you know, the consequences of that, there's potentially the risk of uh, not being able to make payments and, and running into the, the threat of eviction. Do you find um, anything related to that? Yeah, absolutely. That's actually one of our newer questions. Um, we see a little less than two in five renters say that they're concerned they could be evicted for non-payment. Right. So in this latest wave, that was down 11 percentage points from when we first asked the question in August. But 39 percent of all renters fearing eviction due to the impact of COVID is still a pretty substantial number. 
you know, and, and honestly, in my humble opinion, is something to definitely keep an eye on as we move forward. Right. So, so as you're keeping an eye on it, right? So, what are some of the trends you're seeing with people's plans to uh, make their housing payments? Yeah, sure. So, when we look at past housing payments and next month's payment, we can see where 83% of Americans said they had made their last three months right on time and and full in mid June. That number gradually slipped over the course of the summer before flattening out for a few months. However, in the latest wave, we see a significant decline to where it sits now at 71%. So when we first started asking if consumers were planning on paying next month on time and in full in late July, 76% answered in the affirmative. That number also dropped in the latest wave. That was down five percentage points to 66%. That's interesting. And, uh, yeah, are, are you able to break down those overall numbers into different demographic groups? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that when we look at that 66% I just mentioned in a little bit more detail, this is when the story of distinct bifurcation around the impact of COVID really starts to emerge. So on one hand, right, if you're a boomer, if you're white, or if you're a member of Gen X, you're generally in a much stronger and much less anxious position than cohorts such as communities of color, blacks and Hispanics, millennials, and people with children at home. However, what's interesting is in the latest wave, we're seeing nearly all demographics and cohorts showing a decline in planning to pay next month's rent or mortgage on time and in full, with only whites and boomers over-indexing against that number. Right. So, yeah, obviously, like, you know, a lot to be uh, a lot to be concerned about there. And obviously for for some of the renters and homeowners who are concerned about making their their payments and and having trouble uh, paying the rent or or paying the mortgage. But but also, I think some some concern that I think maybe we'll want to come back to a little bit about just the uh, the market generally. What does this mean for for the market? Uh, But before we do that, I'd like to just get into a little bit more of some of the things you are seeing in the survey. Uh, to, to add to the story a little bit, and then and we can get into the uh, some of the context. So, are we seeing any, um, you know, are are we, uh, you know, seeing some other things that you know, maybe outside of direct housing uh, payments? You know, what are some other trends that you are seeing uh, in the market right now? Yeah, sure. That's actually a great question. And and kind of as I mentioned earlier, sometimes we'll pull in some new topical questions just to kind of keep the the survey wake survey work, you know, just fresh and relevant. And one set we asked in early September, which I find absolutely fascinating, was around perceptions of debt. Okay. And the findings are really interesting to me on a couple of different levels is I think they say not only a lot about the current state of financial literacy in the country, but how we as a society have normalized the perception of debt as well. So that being said, What we saw was three out of five Americans say everyone pays their bills late sometimes and how nearly two out of five feel it's okay to be behind on your credit card bills and be a month behind on your rent or mortgage payments as well. You know, on one hand, that roughly 40% is a distinct minority. But on the other hand, I think that 40% encompasses a fair amount of people. And what's interesting, too, is we also saw that a majority of Americans believe lenders shouldn't care about late payments, but only if a loan's fully repaid. So not so much around how or when the loan's repaid, but only if it's eventually repaid. That's interesting. And I think uh, the, the pandemic's definitely putting 
people in a situation of, of thinking about things differently. And, uh, and you're certainly capturing that there. And, um, it, you know, questions that I also get r related to the pandemic are uh, the idea of urbanization and, and how much that's, you know, kind of changed over, over recent years. And there's been so much demand to, uh, to move into urban areas. And now, um, uh, you know, that really has come into question. We've seen differences in, in rental growth rates in urban areas. We hear news reports uh, with the idea that people may be less favorable on that. Uh, are you able to get a handle on that? Actually, yeah. I mean, one study that we actually really just recently completed, we actually looked directly at how urban renters are feeling in light of everything that go is going on, not just COVID. Um, you know, and before I kind of jump into some of the results that we're seeing, I want to give a little bit of context of how we set this up. Um, so we kind of set this up as a benchmark. Uh, our first iteration, which we kind of fielded during the summertime, was meant to kind of give us an initial read on how things stand right now regards to urban renting. Um, we do plan on replicating the study uh, next year in Q1 here in the next few months, um, post the presidential election. Um, and then again in Q3, post COVID. Uh, that being said, I mean, we kind of approached this urban renter study uh, with two specific objectives in mind. Uh, the first of which, as I just mentioned, was to get that benchmark understanding of how current urban renters, along with you know potential urban renters, are kind of viewing the different facets of their experience of what they're going through. Uh, and then the second really was to examine, you know, is there any kind of change in the value proposition or perceptions around urban renting in the light of COVID and what's been happening in the last few months across the country? So I think it's important for everybody to remember, you know, I feel like we're really in some unprecedented times right now. And from everything I've seen, people's views and feelings are like changing on a daily basis in this environment. And that's one of the reasons we're doing, you know, our biweekly COVID poll um, and why we kind of want to replicate our urban renter study over time. We kind of know that people's views and emotional reactions to everything going on are kind of ever evolving and ever changing at this point. Uh, all of that being said, uh, I think in general, you know, the, our urban renter research kind of yielded four major takeaways. Um, the first of which is we saw that a little over half of urban renters have had some sort of fallout from COVID. Um, either they've had worsened finances, they've gotten the virus themselves, or know somebody who's had it. Maybe they experienced a job loss, a death of a friend or family member. Um, and again, as we have seen in our biweekly COVID poll uh, that John kind of just walked through, it really is kind of a tale of two cohorts with Hispanic and Black urban renters feeling the negative impact to a much higher degree than white renters. Um, but also what's really fascinating to me, you know, with all of that's going on, when we ask them about their future, I mean, they're really surprisingly very happy, very hopeful as they look to the future. Of course, they're feeling a lot of anxiety with everything that's going on, but you know, they're still generally positive. Um, I think one of the other big findings that we also have is, you know, the appeal of urban living is still strong. Um, we saw about a third of urban renters who feel that urban 
living has become less desirable than it was six months prior to the research. Um, and I think there's a number of different factors, uh, you know, there's such as the feeling of security. Uh, but when we, you know, look at those who find urban living less desirable than it was six months before, we have about over half saying COVID nah, has had some kind of influence on where they want to live. Um, one of the other things that we found is we have about six in 10 urban renters expect, as I use air quotes, they will give up their urban life upon their next move. Um, and about half of them are saying they'll do so in the next two years. You know, they're citing a variety of different reasons, um, but the main ones are really like a better quality of life. They want more space. You know, some are citing the ability to buy a home. And, you know, out of all the research I've looked at over the years, I mean, these are very similar for most people generally when they say, all right, you know, I want to move. Um, and they are looking for these types of things. And then I think the final big thing that we found was, you know, more than half of urban renters want to move to a single family home upon their next move. Now, I think one of the potential consequences of this, if it continues to hold true, is, you know, a potential for higher demand in urban areas for this type of housing, whether it's purchased or rental. Um, and we have them about the breakout is about 50 50. That's a, a, a lot of great insights about um, what people are thinking right now. I know that uh, uh, there's so many things that we can look at. We can, I, I know that we see differences in, in garbage collections in urban areas and uh, and the switch from, from being in an office building and uh, to being in local areas. And uh, I think that one thing I've also seen people referring to, to previous periods, I know that the the... The Spanish flu in, in 1918, I think the death rate in New York City was actually about double what COVID is right now. And yet between 1910 and 1930, the city grew by about 40%, I believe, in population. So it's remarkable that, that cities can, can recover from these kind of things. But it is definitely worth thinking about how people consider their next move, whether it's from region to region or whether it's within a sub-city um, and going from, say, like an urban area to suburban area. Um, do, you, do you get a feel for that, the latter part of that, on, on moving from a city to suburban? So I think what we're initially seeing, and again, this is kind of an initial gut reaction for folks, but what we're initially seeing is, you know, among those who plan to stay in urban life, um, you know, they're pretty split on where they expect uh, to what type of housing. You got about... Four in 10 who say they'll stay in an apartment. So they're going to stay urban, stay in an apartment. Um, and then you have a little more than half who say they're going to stay urban, but they plan to move into a single family type of home. Um, and whether that's, you know, a detached, a condo, townhouse. Um, and, you know, we still see, you know, a large proportion who are staying urban still anticipate renting. So at the end of the day, you know, you have a number of people who say, I'm going to stay in an urban area and some plan. Again, I use my air quotes, plan to go into single family property. That doesn't necessarily mean they plan to buy. They might actually plan to rent a single family property within an urban area. I think conversely, as we look at those who plan to leave, we kind of see a similar picture. Um, most of them are currently in an apartment, but expect they'll move into a single family property next, uh, albeit a little bit higher than those who are staying urban. But again, not everybody who plans to leave an urban area plans to buy. 
there are a number of potential urban leavers, um, about half, who say, you know, they will actually move to either the suburbs or to a rural market, and they still anticipate renting. Um, so I think, you know, the rental market on both sides, um, on all sides, will still have some semblance of growth. Whether that growth will come in the suburban and rural markets um, will remain to be seen. You know, one thing that's just uh, you know interesting to me, just driving down the road and, and on what used to be my commute, uh, right from from out in, in the suburbs, about you know twenty miles or so west of our of our office, um, you can just see that the suburbs are becoming more urban like. Uh, anyway, I mean that seems to be a trend around the DC area. Um, you know, it's not just the close-in suburbs, but it's you know all the way out and in, in uh, even in Loudoun County, where you see you know. More restaurants, more condos, more apartments uh, going up, and, and more of that you know live work play sort of thing. So, do you do you see maybe? Um, and this is just uh, speculating a little bit or wondering aloud, but you know some of that trend you know tying into uh, these uh, preferences that are being expressed in in the survey results here. I would say from having done the survey again since 2014, particularly not the COVID study, but broadly with renters and owners, I do think there's a preference, continued that preference for taking that urban life of walkability um, and close communities um, out into suburban markets. So Elizabeth, there's one thing I, I did, uh, I did want to go back to, you know, now that we've sort of covered a little bit more of, of what the survey says and, and some of the trends we we're seeing is you had two points that you made earlier. Uh, so one was about concern over making the next payment and the plans for making the next payment. And the other was the the point about uh, some like happiness and optimism about, uh, among renters. Uh, so I'd like to understand a little bit how those two, uh, two come together and, and uh, what, if anything, uh, that tells us about uh, renters and, and impact on the market. Sure. I mean, when we took a look back at, you know, that 66%, um, you know, I'm sure everybody would start kind of going up in arms and, oh my God, only 66% of Americans plan to pay their next housing payment on time and in full. But I think, you know, it's really important for us to remember that a large proportion of those Americans who aren't paying on time and in full do plan to make some semblance of partial payments, um, whether it's, you know, pay it right after the due date, um, or I'll make partial payments until the end of the month, but become in full, pay in full by the end of the month. So I think, you know, consumers broadly are trying to make their housing payments the best um, that they can. Very few are telling us that, it, that they won't be able to pay anything at all. Um, but I, I think particularly when you're looking at urban renters, um, you have to remember who a large percentage of that population encompasses. Um you know, you have a large percentage of that population are younger, who are just generally more optimistic. Um, and, you know, you have a large percentage of that population, particularly, you know, Blacks and Hispanics, who are generally just culturally much more hopeful, happy, and optimistic. Uh, John, I know you've done a lot of research in this space, um, even pre freddie in this area. And I feel I think you've seen this in other research you've done as well. Yeah, hundred um, percent. Typically, from what from what I've seen with multicultural marketing, is to your point, Hispanics and African American consumers tend to over-index, uh, a little bit more positive, a little less negative than other cohorts. So, I think what we're seeing in regards to looking to the future really kind of, I think, just reflects an, a natural resiliency 
and just kind of an, an optimistic, you know, frame of mind, which I think, which I think is great as we move forward through, uh, through the pandemic. That's interesting. And I'll pick up from, uh, from what you were talking about, Elizabeth, with people, um, making rent payments and, and though it may not have been exactly in the month where they were expecting to, or a full at the beginning that they were come expecting to make rent payments. And I think that's consistent with what a lot of people in the market are finding, um, whether it's a uh, rent tracking or people on the ground, uh, folks are, are prioritizing making rent payments at this point in the pandemic. And, uh, and I think that, you know, I think that John, you picked, picked up on, you know, just the dynamics of cities. And I think that another thing to think about is just, um, you know, the long-term growth of cities. Uh, I mentioned, uh, you know, that, that, you know, New York uh, and other major cities have been through health threats in the past and, uh, and have come, come through and, and grown faster than, than on average. And it tends to be that economic growth is fastest there too. So there's, you know, so many different things that we can look at, uh, as we consider where things go from here, uh, what are some of the things that you're considering as you move forward? Yeah, sure. So we're going to be continuing to conduct the biweekly COVID polling through the end of the year at a minimum. My guess is that's going to continue into 2021, but that's honestly really contingent on what plays out over the course of the next couple of months. Um, I think when it comes to looking directly at urban renters and, and to your point, you know, really kind of the future of the cities, as Elizabeth mentioned, our goal is to redo the survey again in another couple of months in Q1. I mean, we know this is a really big emotional roller coaster for everyone across the globe, across the country, and in urban areas um, specifically. And while many expect, while many may expect to really leave urban life upon their next move, we don't know yet how much of that's really an initial kind of gut reaction to current events versus a longer term trend that we might see. And that's why we're going to really going to continue to monitor the evolution of perceptions and possible plans among both urban and potential urban renters alike. Now, and, and, and that sort of a, you know goes back to, to my observation a little bit. And, and if you think about like all these suburbs that are um, you know, becoming more urban like, uh, they're just copying. Right, <laughs> they just want to be more like the city, and so obviously, um, you know, development out out in the suburbs is recognizing you know what's appealing about uh, urban living. Uh, so, John and, and Elizabeth, uh, thank you so much for uh, for being on the program today and, and talking through the survey results. Really interesting discussion. Thank you so much, Corey. Thank you so much, Steve, for having us. We appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Freddie Mac Multifamily Podcast. If you'd like to learn more, follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.